A man of God that we love. He preaches it because of the times every year. He loves the Lord. He's a church builder and a tremendous preacher. And I think you're here this afternoon to hear him. Would you help me welcome Brother Wayne Huntley as he comes to share the word. Praise the Lord, everybody. Would you clap your hands to the Lord right now? Let's give him some praise. I stepped out to get a little drink of water before it was time to preach at the conclusion of Brother Treadway's message. And I was encouraged greatly by my brethren. They said when I was headed to the door, don't quit. <laughs> so I decided to come back in after that good word of encouragement. Have you ever in your life heard such magnificent preaching as we have heard these last couple of days? Lord, have mercy. I will limit my pre-message remarks, I carefully choose my words there because one time we had a gentleman preaching for us in Raleigh, and he said, before I preach this morning, I would like to say something. <laughs> so ever since then, I took that as a good lesson. The congregation did what you did. They began to laugh, and he, he about didn't get the service back for a while, as though he was indicating that when he did preach, he was not saying anything. I want to make a few pre-message remarks. And a lot of times, whenever we address a congregation prior to the preaching of the Word of the Lord, it were introduced by a lot of uh, personal uh, resume-type statements as to the justification of the time in the pulpit. I want to say to you this afternoon that I would like to reverse that introduction and tell all of you that are here this afternoon how much I deeply love and appreciate you and how much I desire and burn with a passion for God's great work to be done in your life. I want to thank you for your friendship and your encouragement and love through the years. There is nothing greater than being a part of the great family of God. I heard that somebody made this statement one time. I, I love the church, but I hate saints. I don't think such a statement makes sense because I thank God today for the church. And I thank God for every person in this room this afternoon. Turn around two or three folks and tell them I really appreciate you. And we're on the same team, aren't we? We're here to pull together, not pull apart. And I thank God for that. 
St. John chapter 5 in your Bibles, and I will do my best to be expedient and swift in the word of the Lord this afternoon, but bring to you the particular area of contribution that I feel the Lord would have me to endeavor to make to the lives of the ministry that are gathered in this room. St. John chapter 5, verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, hot, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Everybody was waiting on a miracle. Everybody was desirous of a miracle, much like I believe the ministry is today. And verse 5 says, And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, I read this text here a while back, preaching in a different direction. But reading it recently, that word lie leaped from the scripture. The Bible said, he who is truth saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, could I say he had been lying for a long time? He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, and this is what he has been saying ever since the keynote message of the first night. The voice of the Spirit to the ministry in 2002 is it's time to rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And after 38 years, the next word is very significant. The second word, and that is immediately. The man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the Sabbath day, on, and on the same day was the Sabbath. I want to draw from the sixth verse and preach to you this afternoon. The Bible said, when Jesus saw him lie. You can lay on a lie or you can stand on the truth. You can lay on a lie or you can stand on the truth. Turn around to somebody and tell them that for me right now, would you?
Thank you. And everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. I will dive right into the preaching of the word of the Lord this afternoon. Dear friend of mine who is deceased and one of my mentors was Brother R.E. Johnson. And he always told a story about what he called in his country brogue helicopter preachers. He said there are 747 preachers. They need a long runway and then they finally get up. And he said, then there are these guys that are helicopter preachers. Well, I want to be a helicopter preacher this afternoon and go straight up from this point. Because our bottom line at Because of the Times is you can make a decision today that you will either lay on a lie or you can stand up miraculously on the truth of Almighty God. The Bible said in Mark chapter 9 and 21, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, would you shout of a child? And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Here in this verse, the devil exposes his hand. The devil takes fire and takes water and tries to produce destruction. He's actually revealing to us that water and fire produces salvation. When you're baptized in water in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost and fire, that's the New Testament salvation. Oft times it has cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit. I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the next verse says, the spirit cried. I want to tell you what time it is and because of the times. What has been long time, would you shout long time? That which has been off time, would you shout off time? Is about to become no time. Because it's now showtime, and God is going to show up. And when he shows up, he's going to show off. We've cried, but the Spirit's about to cry. When you leave this place and you enter back into your city, the Spirit's going to begin to cry. Because God's going to give you a miracle. Clap your hands to the Lord right now. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's showtime for the church. I will approach this afternoon what perhaps would be, what I feel to be, one of our most debilitating, disqualifying, and exempting characteristics to apostolic ministry. And that is simply this. The Bible said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3 that if you think yourself to be something when you are nothing, that you deceive yourself. That is not our problem. Our problem is the contrary. I believe we could say the same thing in reverse without doing injustice to the scripture. He that believeth himself to be nothing 
when he is something, is deceiving himself. You can either lay on a lie or you can stand on the truth. I've come to preach to you this afternoon. It's time to take our place on end time apostolic field and arena as who we are, the beautiful church of Jesus Christ. In the book of Esther, she was called upon for the deliverance of her people. I appreciated so much the revelation of, of Mordecai when he sensed a little resistance in her and a little inhibition. He let her know right off. I want to tell you, you've got a beautiful opportunity here. But if you choose to disqualify yourself and to withdraw yourself, I want you to know their deliverance is going to rise from another place. Let me tell you today, brothers and sisters, it's going to happen. It might as well be with us. It's going to happen. It might as well be with us. And it might as well be here. And it might as well be now. God's going to do it anyhow. And so in her reluctance and resistance, Esther said, well, you know the law. There is but one law. And I haven't been invited in to see the king. That whosoever comes before the king that hasn't been invited, death will be sure. But there's one thing that Esther overlooked. That law was not to her. It had no bearing on her because Esther was not your, could I use the term, Sally Doe, whosoever. The law said whosoever, but Esther was not a whosoever. Esther was the chosen, destined handmaid of God, and that law had nothing to do with her. It's time for the church to rise up and quit exempting ourselves, disqualifying ourselves, and talking ourselves out of the blessing of God. Turn around to somebody and say, you're not a whosoever. said we're not a bunch of whosoever's it's time to plant our feet on the promise of God and declare that this is the church that God has brought to this hour to do his perfect will in clap your hands and shout it is our day it is our hour this is our time our challenge is not predicated upon power, position, or presence. But its basis is that of fabrication, misinformation, and the key word this afternoon is deception. And that is self-deception. The envious brothers of Joseph never said to their father that Joseph was dead. They never declared that he was not alive. They merely 
fabricated false evidence that would lead one to their desired deduction and assumption. They simply took that coat and splattered the blood of a kid goat on that coat. And then they waved it in front of their father. Never said your boy's dead. Simply produced false evidence and said, look at this. Is not this Joseph's coat? And when their father looked at it, he fell into their trap that concocted, fabricated, innovated false evidence caused him to believe a lie. I wish I could have been standing there that afternoon to scream at him, be careful right now because what you're looking at is not true. What is being waved in front of you is nothing but a fabricated deception. Be careful that you don't accept that lie. It is not the truth. The boy is alive. He is not dead. It's just false evidence. It would have been easy had we been in the 2002 era to discount that assault of false evidence. A little DNA could have proven that that's not your boy's blood. That's just the blood of a substitutionary lie. When in reality, the boy is still very much alive. I would have liked to shout it to him. Just leave it right there. I would have liked to shout it to him that afternoon. Don't buy in to that lie. It was impossible for the devil or anyone to kill Joseph because prophecy was on him. But what the devil can't destroy by force, he can delay by deception. He may not be able to destroy it, but he can delay it. Don't buy in. What I want to really say to you this afternoon is this. The devil is waving bloody coats of false evidence, trying to convince some of you your dream is dead. Your miracle boy is no longer alive. He has been taken out of this world. I want you to know it's a lie and your dream still lives. Your dream is still alive. Turn around your neighbor and say, don't buy into it. There's some things you shouldn't buy into. Jesus refused to buy a sepulcher. He did something no one else has ever done. He borrowed one. And I have to always appreciate Joseph of Arimathea 
who had the faith to loan his grave. I believe what Joseph was saying is, I just had a little physical, just had me a checkup, feel pretty good today. If I make it three days, it'll be empty again. Jesus didn't buy into the graveyard situation. He just borrowed one. What I'm saying is there's a lot of stuff we're buying we ought to be borrowing. And we shouldn't be purchasing this a long-term situation. It must have been a shocking time when they said to Jacob, you may now kiss your bride. And Jacob pulled the veil off of Leah. It was Lucille. Lucille's ugly sister. They said, you can now kiss your bride. And when the veil was removed, Jacob saw it was not his adorable Rachel. It was ugly Leah. You talk about kissing a woman that's leaning back. How do you kiss a man that's running backwards? You may now kiss your bride, and I could see Jacob going, oh, God. But there's always a trap when you're halfway through what you really want. At the end of seven, he got Leah. But Leah's not what he wanted. Rachel's what he loved. But the temptation comes when you're about half what God's got for you. When you're about half where you really want to go. When you're about half to the mark of spiritual accomplishment. The temptation is to be settled with an ugly Leah when you got a beautiful Rachel. And so the father said, no, the law says you, you can't take her without taking the... You, you got this thing out of order here. So what you got to do is you must spend one week with Leah. Fulfill her week. This is going to be tough. <laughs> because a week with Leah could seem like a lifetime. I heard about a man that took his mother-in-law with him on vacation every year. And the minute the factory inquired, why in the world would you take your wife with you, your mother-in-law with you on every vacation? You don't get but one, year, one week out of the year, and you take your mother-in-law. He said, that's the only way I know to make a week seem like a month. <laughs> Just a joke. I wouldn't say that about my mother-in-law. She called today and said she was up all night praying for me this afternoon, praying that God would help me. But I'm sure Jacob thought that week with Leah was about like a month.
But the problem with a lot of folks is you must not give up an entire life with Rachel by refusing a week with Leah. And you must be willing to not get stuck with your week with Leah and make a week become a way of life. You got to keep reminding yourself, we may be down a little bit today, but we're not staying down. This may not be exactly what I want right now, but this is my week with Leah. This is just my week with Leah. I will have my Rachel. I will have my Rachel. Leah is surviving. Rachel is reviving. Leah is Laodicea. Rachel is Philadelphia. We must be willing to contend for what we really want. Clap your hands to the Lord right now. When they wave that bloody coat in front of Jacob, he made a startling statement. He said, without doubt, Joseph has been rent in pieces. And then he said, I shall go to my grave mourning my son for 20 years Jacob went to a shady spot in his heart and in his mind because of a bloody coat and dug a grave and wept and cried and put his precious boy in that grave in his mind and for 20 years, every day when he woke up, he cried over a boy he thought was dead that was really alive. I'm preaching to men this morning, this afternoon, who have come to because of the times carrying bloody coats. Every time you try to get a little excited, the devil waves a bloody coat. Every time you try to get hope up, a bloody coat waves in front of you. Let me tell you something. Your dream is not dead. Your miracle is still alive. said it's not dead the boy is alive clap your hands and shout my dreams alive my dreams alive don't believe that lie don't believe that lie it's not over it's just now about to start Jacob was laying on a lie when he could have stood on the truth. The Bible said, if you believe a lie, 
you will be damned. But ye shall know the truth. And that's more than Acts 2.38. It's more than John 3.5. It's more than 1 Timothy 3.16. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth is who you are and what you have and who is on your side. You've got to rebuke the fabricated lies of the devil whenever the adversary comes in and opposition. You just stand to your feet and shout, it's nothing but a dirty lie. My miracle is still a lie. Reach over and lay your hand on somebody. Let's rebuke doubt and unbelief this afternoon. Let's break those shackles and those chains of negativism, pessimism, skepticism. In the name of Jesus, loose these people. To be able to stand on the truth. tell you the truth you're too equipped to be whipped you're too anointed to be disappointed you're too blessed to be stressed it's time to shout the victory our miracles alive our miracles alive Something could happen in here if somebody could fight through the cynicism, fight through the negativism, get back up to your feet and shout, I've been lied to. The devil's been lying to me. The devil is a lie and the father of it. My daughter will pray back through. My son will be saved. My church will have revival. My building will be built. I will have an anointed ministry. I'm not going to believe the lie. It's a lie. Don't lay on a lie when you can stand on the truth. As a matter of fact, Jesus asked something very strongly to this man, and that was this. He said, it's time for you to take up your bed and start walking. 
I want you to pick up whatever you've been laying on. And start walking with it. Whatever you've been laying on, it's time to pick that thing up and walk with it. You've been laying on the fact that you're not somebody in Pentecost. Grab that up and walk anyhow. You've been laying on the fact that you're in a tough city. Pick that up and walk with it anyhow. You've been laying on the fact of all these things that you could list that will stop you from doing the will of God. I want you to know every bit of it is a lie. Don't believe the lie. Take up your bed and walk. Jesus said, there is only one factor here that we need to consider. Only one thing plays into the picture, and that is this. Wilt thou be made whole? All I need to know is, do you want it? Do you want it? Now, I could go a little further with that, but I would just throw this in and move on. I really believe what Jesus was saying to the man is, you probably don't even know what you're asking for. Because, see, up to now, he exempted himself and was disqualified from every responsibility. All he had to do, clap his hands and say, to the pool. And several men grabbed him and ran him to the pool. Clapped his hands and said, pizza today. And they ran his meals to him. He didn't have a job. He didn't have an alarm clock. He didn't have a schedule. Jesus said, are you sure you want a miracle? Because after this, ain't nobody going to carry you anymore. When you get your legs, you're going to have to walk. And a lot of folks had rather complain as to praise. A lot of folks had rather whine than rejoice. Be careful how you criticize somebody else's revival. You might have one one day. Be careful how you criticize somebody else's car. You may have a hard time explaining yours. Jesus said, are you sure you want this? Because there's going to be some radical changes in your life if I give you this miracle. And I want you to know all he's asking us today is, are you sure you want it? Are you sure you want it? Will thou be made whole? Notice Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. I was looking to see if it was going to appear. I'll read it right here. Deuteronomy 3, 11. That's all right. For only Og, 
Everybody say only. Only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Don't ever introduce anybody as a spiritual giant. Because the giants were never on God's side. God never had a giant on his side. He always likes to take the little guy and whip the big guy. He always likes to take the less likely and do them a right. God is always working imperfection. He's always worked at disadvantage. He's always liked to take that which was nothing and make it something. So when you're listing every reason that God can't use you, you need to know that's a reason he can. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm nothing. That's exactly what God's looking for. Through the Bible, giants were never on God's side. And the Bible indicates that Israel had annihilated Every giant between them and their promised land, only one left. And his name was Og, king of Bashan. He remained of the remnants of the giant. And here's what the Bible says about him. The last enemy between Israel and their promise, everything else had come down. Nothing is in your way but this one big boy. And his name is Og. The Bible doesn't talk about how many chariots he had. It doesn't talk about how many soldiers he had. It didn't talk about his strategic prowess. It didn't talk about how great he was in battle. It just simply said that his bed was nine feet wide and 18 feet long. Between Israel and their promised land was a king-sized bed. No more shackles on their feet. No more whips on their back. No more chains to limit them. All they had to do was beat the bed. All they had to do was whip a spirit of rest and relaxation and slumber. And take it easy. Take a nap. You're real close to it now. That's all that matters. Is there anybody here tired of saying we're on the verge? 
we have been too consolated by saying we're on the verge. We're on the brink. And we lay down on Og's bed right on the border of our promise. All this church needs to do is get hungry. All this church needs to do is get thirsty. All this church needs to do is get desperate. is saying anything to all of us. It's don't let your blessings become a curse. And don't be robbed of the best by the good. Because we're not where we really wanted to be. And he didn't bring us out to let us wander out there. He brought us out to bring us in. From now on, your measure of revival will not totally depend on God. It will depend on what you want. Because the Bible said... Make your calling and election sure. The devil always votes no in this election. God always votes yes in this election. And you might say we got a tie, but the winning ballot is in your hand. And you cast the majority ballot when you step up and say, we're not going to be happy with good church. we got to have best church. We're not going to be happy with a good ministry. we got to have our best ministry. We're not going to be bought out with something that's good. God's got something better for us. Notice quickly the word of the Lord out of Ezekiel chapter 36. And when I say I will, in quoting of God, would you shout I will? I'm reading out of Ezekiel 36, 21. But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. Have we been hearing that? For mine holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. And I will sanctify. I will. 24 says, I will take you. I will. 25 says, well, I will sprinkle clean. I will. 26 says, I will take away. I will. 26 says, I will give you. I will. 27 says, I will put my spirit. 29 says, I will also. I will. 30 says, I will multiply. I will. 33 says, I will cause you to dwell in the cities. I will. 36 says, the Lord said, I've spoken it, and I will do it. I will. 
But 37 says, in the face of all these I wills, God still says, but I'm not going to do it until somebody asks me. For he said, I will yet be inquired of by the house of Israel. I've already told you I'd do it. I'm just waiting on somebody to get on their feet and say, Lord, do as thou hast said. You need to dare to ask him. Yeah. Yeah. Prior to his death, one of Hollywood's main actors and long-term career movie star, Jimmy Stewart, turned a multi-million dollar memorabilia collection over to a particular college. He was asked, what is your association with that college? He said, none. They said, are you in affinity with their beliefs? I don't even know what they believe. You have children going there? No, not at all. They said, why would you give that college multi-millions of dollars? And you have no association, you have no contact, you have no attachment. He said, the truth of the matter is, I did it because they asked me. Somebody got bold enough to step up and ask. We had rather worry than ask. We'd rather calculate and use logic than just ask. Somewhere you got to get bold. I got a good friend sitting here on the front row, Brother Mark Foster. He's bold as a lion. I'll never forget when he pastored Winston-Salem. There was a bunch of us preachers over at his house one night. And uh, somebody said, let's go to Taco Bell, get a bunch of tacos and bring them over here. So three or four or five preachers got in a vehicle or something. We pulled up there in Brother Foster's vehicle and the young lady was asking for our order and he said, we want 50 tacos to go. Something like that, 50, 60, it was an astronomical amount. There's a large group over there. And here's Brother Foster, he's driving. The lady says, it's gonna take a few minutes. There's about six of us in the car. He says, hey, how about some free Cokes for all my friends while we're waiting? The young lady says, certainly, sir. We'll bring them right out. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ask. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ask, God, 
I want to pastor the largest church in this town. I'm asking you to make this church the largest church in town. That does not make God mad. He said you have not because you asked not. I'm asking for a financial miracle. I'm asking for a great move of God. I'm asking for a deliverance. God said, all I'm waiting on is somebody to ask me. Turn around to your neighbor and say, ask him. Go ahead. I need $10 million to build that new church. I'm asking him. Somebody ask for it right now. Whatever you want from God, ask for it right now. You just need to ask for it. Remain standing, I'll quickly come to the point of the text. <laughs> the Bible said that Jesus saw this man lie. And I'd always limit it to physical prostration. I limit it to posture until I began to look a little closer. The text had nothing to do totally with his posture. Because when Jesus walked up, nothing else matters when truth arrives. And the man began to list the lies that he was laying on. Lie number one, you have to be the first one in to get healed. Lie number one, you got to be somebody special. Not when truth gets there. Not when truth gets there. You don't have to be somebody special. When truth gets there, you're going to find out God will do this for whoever will meet the qualifications. The second lie is I'm not at the pool. When truth arises and arrives, the pool is out of the picture. When truth arrives, you don't have to be in a special place. Sir, I'm telling you, if you want to be healed, forget the pool. I am the healer. We are laying on lies when we could be standing on truth. The third lie is you got to get in the water. I mean, that, I've been watching this for years. 38. And every 
everybody that's ever gotten healed before this had to get in the water. But not when truth gets there. Not when truth gets there. One of our main problems, and Brother Tinney has already addressed it very eloquently, we try to limit what God can do now by how he did it in the past. And you don't need to believe that lie. It took somebody else 45 years to get to 100. You don't have to believe that lie. You don't have to be afraid of stepping out. But that was before truth got here. Truth is standing here right now. And I don't have to go to the pool. I get amazed at the encouragement some of our missionaries get when they get on location. I've been there and heard it. Folks tell me, look, son, don't get too excited here. Yeah. Don't worry if it's just, you're just going, you know. Maybe just you and your wife for four or five years, but don't worry about that. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here 25 years, and I just got 15, so be encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And what happens is a web gets wrapped around you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to where you feel like if you break out and have revival, you're going to offend somebody. This can't be happening to me. I don't have the ministry he's got, or I'm not as smart as he is. And, and you disqualify yourself by laying down on the lie when you could be standing on the truth. Turn around to your brother and say, this is not between me and you. It's between me and him. told was when I try to get there somebody else always gets there before me somebody beats me to my miracle somebody's always getting my revival somebody else is always getting my blessing I'm telling you you can lay on that lie if you want to or you can stand up and realize ain't nobody getting your miracle revival somewhere else enhances your chance of revival Blessing somewhere else enhances your chance of blessing. We act like God's about to run out of revival and somebody's going to get it all. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Stand up on your feet and know you can stand on truth. Turn around your neighbor and say, don't believe the lie. One of the greatest days of my life, it was like change came off of me when I realized God can do it here. God can do it with me. And the final lie was, he said, no, no, it can't happen. It's only certain seasons. It's only certain seasons. Not now. It's only a certain season that the miracles happen. That's before truth gets there. When truth shows up, it can happen any day. You make up your mind that I'm going to do whatever it takes to have a Holy Ghost revival. And I'm not going to be satisfied with any 
painless. Bow your heads and lay your hands on somebody beside you right now and begin to rebuke doubt and rebuke unbelief and tell them your dream is still alive. Your dream is still alive. Your miracle is not dead. Don't give up on your miracle. Don't lay on that lie. Don't lay on that lie. Stand on the truth. the lie. The devil is a liar and the father of all lies. I'm not going to leave here just shouting because it happened in Alexandria. I say it will happen where I am. I say it will happen in my church. I say it will happen in my ministry. Rebuke the lie. Rebuke the lie. Stand on the truth. If you know the devil or your flesh has been lying to you, step out in that aisle right now. And I want somebody to lay a hand on your head and rebuke the lie. And rebuke the lie. The dream is still alive. Don't lay on a lie when your dream is still alive. You can buy that property. You can build that church. You can have that miracle revival. You can be blessed. Don't believe the lie. everybody that was a prophetic word go ahead sister back there claim it shout between those pews that's a prophetic word